Well, Pastor Rhonda taught powerfully last Sunday uh, through the topic of prayer. And I want to continue in the same vein as she brought last week. So whether you're at home or whether you're here, um, today we want to look at how Jesus was a, lived as a non-anxious presence in the midst of an always hurried humanity. And it's really vital that we always look at this topic, but in particular during a pandemic. Sky Jethani says this, has it ever occurred to you that Jesus never hurried? There is no record of him in the gospels, of Jesus rushing nor worrying. He trusted that his father would provide for him and he expected this kind of faith of his followers, of each and every one of us. And so a question that I have for you once again here at home today is, is your heart being formed by anxiety? Is it being formed by hurry, by conflict, by infer or conflicting information? Is it being formed by outrage? Is it being formed by uncertainty? What are the things that are forming your heart. And here's what I would say. Don't just assume because one day you made a decision to follow Jesus that your heart is abiding in the fullness that God has for you. Every single one of us, this is a question that we have to ask ourselves over and over and over again because all of us are susceptible to our hearts finding different places to rest and to abide. Ruth Haley Barton lists 10 symptoms when our hearts begin to be formed by anxiety. And I can recognize some of these symptoms in different seasons of my own life. They are symptoms like irritability. You're consistently irritable. Hypersensitivity, that people say just the simplest things and we disproportionately respond. Restlessness, no sense of contentment, always restless. We can, be, we can become workaholics just burying ourselves there. Emotional numbness. Sometimes when our hearts are being formed by fear and anxiety and worry, we can't feel anything. We just become numb. Out of order priorities. It's not that we don't have priorities. They're just not in the right order. They just totally get missed up. We misprioritize things. Sometimes it's a lack of care for our own body, whether it's neglecting sleep, even eating well, you know, just moving, having physical activity in our lives. We engage in escapist behaviors. Next, Netflix has to remind us and actually asking us, are you sure you're watching this many shows or have you fallen asleep? Escapist behaviors. We can try to shop our way out of sadness. Slippage of spiritual disciplines, once again, because our priorities get all misaligned. And lastly, then isolation. We just begin to pull back, pull back, and pull back. So today, here's what we want to do. We want to slow down and look at Jesus. We want to look at how Jesus actually learned how to slow down when pressures pressed in upon him. And here's what's true in COVID-19, in a pandemic. Here is what is true of all of us. Yes, this pandemic has affected every, each and every one of our paces of life. It's affected how we work or maybe how we go to work. And for some of us, it's employment. For others, it may be unemployment. Some may be working from home. Others may, you know, you're missing the commute. It, it's affected all of those things. And so there's this weird thing that happens during this season. While we may have less things on our schedule, that doesn't mean that the noise of our soul calms down. While things change out here, simultaneously things ramp up on the inside of here, on the inside of us. 
Most of us are engaging more social media. Did you know that in North America, the average person who owns a smartphone touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day? The average person touches it 2,617 times a day. So we want to look at how are all these things shaping and forming us. Asian theologian Kosuke Koyama says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. And so here's the question. What does freedom from anxiety, from worry, from fear, what does, what does freedom from these things look like according to Jesus? Because this is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus teaches us, every one of us. Jesus taught us that it is our hearts that determine how we see the world, not our eyes. Our eyes are just the lenses, but it's our hearts really that determine how we see the world in which we live. That when our hearts, clean hearts, pure hearts, we see the world differently. But when our hearts are a mess and they are cluttered, we see things differently. You know this to be true in particular within relationships. When relationships have no tension, when relationships have no conflict, we see one another differently. But when there is tension and conflict and disagreement within relationships, whether they are individual or between different, different even ethnicities within Canada, you can see that when all of these things that, yes, must come to the surface, but when they are present, we can begin to see one another differently. This is part of what Jesus is speaking into. And so in the Sermon on the, on the Mount, here's what he says in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 26. Again, like Pastor Rhonda spoke last week, there's a thread here. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus is speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Maybe you're worried about what you were going to wear today. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about that. Don't be concerned about that. Is not life more than food? Those of you who are foodies are like, nope, it's not. For the rest of us who aren't foodies, we're like, nah, who cares? Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, and here's the, the vein from last week, are you not more valuable than they? Do you not know your intrinsic worth to your heavenly Father, that God cares deeply about you? That before you start praying, before you even utter the words or before the tears leave your eyes, God knows the origin of the tear. He knows what you're about to say before you say it. Not simply because he knows all things, though yes, he is omniscient in those ways, but not merely from there, but because he has such deep and abiding and passionate affection for you that he cares so deeply. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Your father is not disconnected. Your father is not unconcerned. Your father is not distant from the very cries of your heart. Jesus is orienting, reorienting oftentimes our perspective of who God is, that God cares deeply about you. And until we get this, not from our heads, until we get this in our hearts, until we root, until we abide in these things, nothing else can give us this type of peace. Jesus once again said that there's many pieces 
P-E-A-C-E. There are many forms of peace that the world can give. If you have a good job, there's a sense of financial peace. If you're in a, mar- a good marriage, a healthy marriage, there's a sense of relational peace. If you have really great friendships, there's another form of relational peace. But all of these things are good things. But unbeknownst to you, they can change in the blink of an eye. Here's what I want you to know, that for me, I have a marriage. Lori and I are married. We have a covenant, but it is an inferior covenant to the covenant that I have with Jesus. It is not what defines my life, nor is my marriage or our marriage what defines Lori's life. It is a good thing. It is a blessed thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. Here's what I want to say, is that if anything were to occur, nothing's, nothing's wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying It's an inferior thing, but if I take my good thing with Lori and I make it my ultimate thing, I put a weight on her shoulders that she cannot bear, and then the good thing then becomes the ultimate thing, and it becomes an idol, and it becomes even something that we begin to worship. It begins something we begin to put on our shoulders, and it's an inferior piece. Why? Because Jesus said one day in heaven, there's no marriage. It's not what it's about, but Jesus said there is this peace that I give you that the world cannot take away. So again, it's not even even just that the bank account doesn't give you some form of peace, but in times of uncertainty, when the bank account runs dry, there is a peace that surpasses the knowledge of what that is. This is what Jesus is saying. What do you root and abide your heart in? It is such a beautiful and yet challenging message that not trusting that God cares about us or causes us to seek peace in inferior places. Here's a, good, here's a good exercise you may want to try this week, and I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to do it at work. I encourage you to do it. Don't do it out loud, but I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to listen to what people complain about. I encourage you to listen to what people are really mad about. I encourage you to listen to what people really care about. I encourage you to do that. I'm not asking you to hear what they're saying. I'm asking you to listen to what they're saying. I'm asking you to really listen to these things. Because if you listen to your friend or your family member, if you listen to your spouse, if you listen to your kids and kids, if you listen to your parents as they're talking, not just here, if you really listen, you're going to begin to hear oftentimes the things that we really care about, the things that we are really concerned about. You're going to begin to hear not just the surface things, but the things on the inside. And sometimes information is powerful in intercession. That in intercession, when you can begin to learn something that somebody cares about, then you cannot just pray a general prayer. You can pray a specific prayer. You can begin to pray not only that somebody gets a good job, but you can begin to pray that they would know that God is their provider beyond the job that they get. You can begin to intercede not only that they experience peace, but they experience a peace that the world cannot give. There is a way of knowing that God is your provider that allows you to live in the principles of God's word through uncertainty. And there are some of us as followers of Jesus, we are not shaped by God as provider. We are shaped by actually circumstances. And so it shows up in our hearts and lives. And I don't say that to shame you. I simply say it as a place to look. God, these are places the Holy Spirit wants to go. So listen to the people around you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 to 33, and Jesus is our perfect example 
of one who knows how to listen and listen well. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, pause, which is going to become covered in snow. Some of you are going to celebrate that, some of you not. If you're new to Canada, it happens every year around this time, so don't be surprised by it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's going to snow. Really? Every year this time, and it's surprising. It's going to snow. But if God so closes the grass of the field, that was a little fun moment, but it wasn't really funny, so we're just going to keep moving. So God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, of you of little faith. Jesus says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Watch, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You don't need to worry about it because your father knows you. He knows you need these things. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Jesus is listening to the cries. He's listening to the criticisms. He's listening to the complaints of his culture. And he begins to speak prophetically, and he begins to speak ultimate truth into what they really need, not just what they wanted. He begins to speak at a different level and a deeper level. He doesn't dismiss, though, all the things like what we would drink or what we'd eat or what we could wear. He says, no, your father knows those things. He knows and he can add those things. But if we misprioritize this, there's a problem. You know, Jesus was Jewish and thus a rabbi. People called him a teacher or a rabbi. And within Judaism, every rabbi has two things. Every rabbi has apprentices, has followers. And so when you see the story of Jesus as rabbi walking along the, the, this, this, um, the beach and he sees Simon and he sees Andrew and he sees Matthew and he says, come follow me, come, like, come this way. What is Jesus saying to them? He's actually saying, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher, be my apprentice. Here, here, you can hear the language. You, you know how to you know, fish for fish and that's a good trade. But I want to teach you how to fish for humanity. I want to teach you to fish for men. So learn of me. You don't know how to do that well. So come follow me. Be my apprentice. So a rabbi has two things. They have apprentices. They have people that they're pouring their hearts into. And the second thing they have are these things called yokes. Y-O-K-E. They have yokes. A yoke was no joke. That was horrible. But a yoke was no joke. Because what a yoke is, is this. A yoke is a way to be in the world. That's what a yoke is. So when you see in the scripture this word yoke, it was a Jewish idiom that everybody understood culturally that oftentimes we go, pardon? A yoke was a way to be in the world. It was a way to live. So everything that Jesus did, his followers and his apprentices would have been watching we as followers of Christ in 2,000 years later in North America, we often are really concerned about what Jesus said, which we need to be, but we are less concerned with what he did. But we need to also be concerned about not just what he said, but what he did. And those things have to marry in our hearts and lives. Because here's the truth. It's not that you just have right beliefs. It is that our beliefs touch our opinions, touch our behaviors, so there can be holistic unity between what we believe and how we behave. It is both of these things being touched together that all of us do imperfectly because we are all followers of Jesus. We are apprentices of Jesus. So in saying that, here's the truth. For my life and for your life, for your heart and for mine, 
Every single one of us have different yokes on our shoulder because we go out into the world, we go out in relationships with one another, we go through seasons, we go through trials, we go through all of these things. And no one is saying, here's a yoke, here's a yoke, here's a yoke, here's a yoke. But everywhere there are yokes being put on our shoulders. And there are some of us who have the yoke of Jesus on our shoulders, but we also have about 15 other yokes. And Jesus said that it doesn't work that way. In the scriptures, it talks about don't be unequally yoked. And oftentimes, we only look at that exclusively through uh, relationships, whether you're a believer dating someone who's an unbeliever. We look at it only through that lens. And, but the truth of it is, if you can imagine in your mind this cement circle basin with grain on the inside of it, a tiller on the, outs, on the inside, and a really, really strong ox and a really, really weak ox that are tied to it and they are just walking around it as it you know, you know, crushes the grain. This is the idea of being unequally yoked, that if you had one ox that was so strong, so strong, and one that is absolutely so weak, here was the truth of what would happen. The ox that was so strong would literally, literally walk the weaker one to death. And at one point, even though the weaker oxen would die, the other oxen would then just continue to go and just drag it around. And Jesus is saying, this is what it is to be unequally yoked, that in our hearts and lives, that there's a battle over our hearts every single day. And so again, listen to that now through the context of Jesus as a rabbi standing up and teaching one day saying, you can't serve God and money. What is he saying? Both have a yoke. And whichever one gets on your shoulders, only one's going to survive. You can't have one foot in one boat and one foot in another boat. And they're going in different directions. At some point, you got to pick a boat or you is in trouble. This is what Jesus is saying here to every single one of us. And my heart, like your heart, wanders. My heart, like your heart, picks on other people's yokes, offenses, burdens, outrages, all of those different types of things. And this is what Jesus said about his yoke. He says, come to me, all of you who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Pause. In order to find grace, what do you have to do? You just have to come to Jesus. That's it. You just have to come to Jesus. Aren't you glad that we are all saved by grace, which means that none of us are saved by good behavior. We are saved by a bloodstained cross plus nothing. Every single one of us just have to come to Jesus. If we're exhausted, if we're burnt out, if we are absolutely being pulled around by life, by unequal yokes, if we're being ground, Jesus said, all you got to do in order to find rest, in order to find salvation, in order to find what your soul needs, just, just come to me. I'm as close as the mention of my name. Jesus is not making it hard for any human to find him. We make it more complicated. We make it. Our hearts get all a mess. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But, but listen to what he continues to say. And this is the challenge for our daily lives. For those of you who have not yet followed Jesus or you're, you're not a Christian, you've never surrendered your heart to, light, to Christ. For you, you've got to come to Jesus. For others of us who've already come to Jesus, this is what we have to do. We have to take his yoke upon us. And his yoke is greater than every other yoke. Because his name is greater than any of your other name. But he says, you've got to take my yoke upon you and you've got to learn from me. You've got to be an apprentice of me. You've got to be a follower of me. So in other words, Jesus is saying, it's not enough that you made a decision 18 years ago to be a follower of Jesus. What have you done in the, pre the following 18 years to follow of me, learn me? Because all culture continues to give you different yokes. 
So it's not just go back to the point of original decision, original salvation. That's an extraordinary thing that we celebrate. But if we watch baptism today, we celebrate step upon step upon step upon step because Jesus is saying, you've got to take my yoke upon you. This is a step of faith and you've got to learn of me. For Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And then you're going to find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But taking it on still means you're taking on a yoke and you're receiving a burden. Have you received from Jesus? Have you received from Jesus? Which is this offer of grace, this offer of salvation. Did you know last year, church, that we saw 301 people at Life Center give their lives to Christ last year, pre-COVID, darn COVID, 301 people give a decision for Christ. And we celebrate that. And we are still seeing people in trickles give their lives to Christ. But we also need to celebrate every single step where someone said, I'm gonna continue to learn from Jesus. I'm gonna continue to follow Jesus. I'm gonna be an apprentice of Jesus because that brings transformation to our hearts and to our lives. Here's a question I wanna ask you. What is forming your yoke, your belief, your worldview on work, on rest, on relationships, on sex, race, power, justice? You can go on and on and on. What is forming your yoke? What are you attaching your heart to? What, is you, what are you pulling on your heart? What are you pulling on your shoulders, I should say? As C.S. Lewis once said, when he didn't know Christ, my arguments against God, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust in the first place? This is the seed for C.S. Lewis that began to unravel his heart of stone and his story of doubt. He said, I he began to think about how do I even have an idea of just and unjust? And then he explained it this way. A person does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. So what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And all of a sudden, he began to see different yokes, different things, and his heart awakened to faith. When a rabbi would say, take my yoke, it was an invitation saying, this is the best way to be human. This is how to live making crooked lines straight. This is what it looks like. And here's what I want you to know in the church. You get a lot of things wrong. But preaching Christ is one thing we get right. The heart of what we're diving into this entire series, again, is not Ottawa needs to be more like us. It is that we all need to be more like Jesus. And the same is true for Cornwall or Canada or Blackburn or any region of a city, nation, or world. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, you can see what Jesus said just won't work. It won't work if you pick up every other yoke and try to ha add his until your already crowded list. It just won't work. Jesus said you can't seek first 
everything else in this world and then try to add his kingdom on top of it. It just won't work. You're going to be exhausted and weighed down because your life is absolutely being ruled by too many yokes, too many others. There are some of you who have a yoke that someone said to you about you 10 years ago that may have been true about you then, but it's not true about who you are now. And you need Jesus to shatter that yoke and to put his yoke that is a lot more light and easy on your shoulders. Dallas Willard says this, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It is a strategy that is bound to fail because this is a strategy born in behavior modification and not heart transformation by the Holy Spirit. Religion is a far substitute to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A helpful book for me on this topic is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer. In it, he says, here's a conviction of mine. The Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of life. It is not just a set of ideas that we call theology or a list of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. I mean, it is that, but it is so much more. It is a way of life based on that of Jesus himself. It is a lifestyle. Here is a practice that I have been engaging in since the pandemic began. I, like you, love to spend time with Christ. I love to pray. I love to read my Bible. I love to spend time with Jesus, listening to worship music, sometimes sitting quietly, sometimes reading a book of prayers. Sometimes when I don't have the words to pray, I just start to read the Psalms and I pray those. But it's not to tick a box because here's what I said at the beginning of the message that I want to bring into focus and finish with one story. Spending time with the Lord, in particular in this season for me, is so life-giving. It is in every season, but in particular this season, and here's why. Because never has my inside been noisier. Never has the steep, the, 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 the decisions of leadership been higher for me personally. And so I spend time with Jesus until in here gets quieter. See, what does that look like? I'll give you a practical example. Vain imaginations. We all have them. Imaginary conversations where you're fighting with somebody in your head. You're having a a dialogue or a fight, an imaginary conversation where someone's talking to you, you're talking to them, and you're just nailing them with zingers, zingers, and zingers, and you're just like, someone's got a scoreboard just going like swish, 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 and you're you're dunking on them every time. And you walk away feeling good, right? Spending time with Jesus until this gets quiet, you know what begins to happen? Rather than all the conflict, 
it switches from that internal conversation to a space of prayer. Where now all of a sudden, rather than trying to win and trying to you know, get one up and trying to figure it out, you just begin to pray for them. You begin to release. You begin to ask God to forgive you. You begin to ask God to use your life. And all of a sudden, you begin to pray for them. You begin to lift them up. It changes in your heart and it quiets down. The noise of your soul quiets down to meet the noisiness that is just on the other side of it. And some of you have young kids. And here's what I want to say to you if you have young kids at home and they're home 24-7 and you're working from home and it's a chore. Here's what I want to say. It's not the amount of time. Just like it wasn't a little boy giving a couple of fish and a couple loaves of bread to Jesus. It's not the amount that you give him. God is a God who can multiply it. It is a matter of saying, Lord, it's not fill my life with information. It's fill my heart with transformation. So God, may my heart get quiet so that I can actually listen to a really noisy world. That I can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a world that is seemingly shouting at the top of its lungs every minute of every day. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, Jesus said, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says that we are to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. And you may be here now going, okay, I know I've got some anxiety. I know I've got some fear. I know I've got some stress. I know I've got some uncertainty. I know I've got all those things. So yes, I want Jesus' yoke on my shoulders. I don't want all those other yokes. Yeah, okay, I get it, get it. How do I actually cast my anxiety on him? Is it like an object lesson? Do I get up in the morning and go, I cast? Like, is that all I do? Is, I, is, it, just, is it just confession? I cast, I cast, I cast. No, what, oh, I am so sorry. No, it is what Jesus said. It is that you and I must need to learn of Jesus and live the way Jesus did. First Peter, if you have a Bible, I would mark it. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, gives you five to six concrete ways of what it looks like to cast your anxieties on the Lord. What does it look like to cast your anxiety? Number one, learn from those who are older who have learned how to follow Jesus. Just because someone's older doesn't mean they've learned how to follow Jesus. You can grow old and never grow up. You can grow old and never grow up. So just because someone's older doesn't mean they have more wisdom. But there are people who are older and have wisdom. There's lots, lots in our church. Ask them, learn from them. How did you learn to follow Jesus? How did you live through uncertainty? How did you not live by circumstances? How did you live by principles and not just, again, the pressures of life? Clothe yourself. Another thing you can do, we can do, is clothe ourselves with humility towards others. Be quick to confess, quick to learn, quick to live differently. Make confession a part of your everyday life. Find someone to confess to every single day. Hey, I just want to confess today. I just want to confess today. Like your Visa or MasterCard bill, don't let it climb and get compounding interest on top of it. Keep it really small. Pay it off every day. Have a really short, small sin account. Don't let it build up. Just confession. This is how we cast our anxieties. This is how we allow Jesus to take yokes off of our shoulders. Stay under the hand of God. What do I mean by that? Let him do the work of elevating you. You don't have to make yourself famous. You don't have to get clout on social media. You don't have to strain your whole life to get life. You don't have to live for likes when you can abide in the love of God. Let God elevate you. Let God promote you. Let God open doors. 
You don't have to do those things. When you're listening and talking to someone, here's one that God's working on my life over and over and over again. Just listen to a conversation, fully engage the conversation, and don't turn the conversation and make it about you. So hard, I do that one so often as a way to relate and say I'm with it, but I want to learn how to better just go, I hear you, I'm with you. Understand that you're in a real spiritual Warfare. Understand that, Paul, or, the, or Peter says in 1 Peter 5, some of you gave your lives to Jesus and didn't realize that you were in a war the moment you did that. And here's what, well, I don't want to fight. I don't want to be in a spiritual war. I'm sorry, you have no choice. You have no choice. Every single day, there's a war for the affections of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, the affections of your heart, all of these things for all of us. Understand you have a real spiritual enemy offering you other yokes each and every day. A new statistic came out that's absolutely frightening to me. There's two of them. Number one is that from the pandemic until today, 50% of followers of Jesus no longer attend church, watch church, engage with church in the last nine months in North America. 50% of followers of Jesus are only coasting on yesterday's bread. This is frightening. Second stat that I want to sober you up with today And this one, I may tear up a bit. I'm good, we're doing good, but I want you to know that 70% of pastors are looking for other work right now. They can't handle a church that has become divided politically in every which way. They can't handle all various things. I'm trying to suck you into my world. I am just saying there is a spiritual battle going on that is raging. I know your industry has tons of issues as well, but when I read that, hey, I'm doing good, we're doing good, but when I read that, my heart broke to think 70% strike shepherds, sheep scatter. Develop, which leads into this one, develop resiliency. We've got to develop resiliency. Learn to resist temptation by standing firm in the faith. Learn to listen to one another, not just react. We gotta, we gotta dial off of outrage. We gotta dial into listening. Suffering for your faith, lastly, doesn't mean God is absent. It means he's right there beside you. Okay, final story, just so I can really drive home a point how serious Jesus was about never being in a hurry. If you think I'm being hyperbolic here, he was never in a hurry. But him not being in a hurry doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Jesus one day hears that his good friend Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha send word to him to come at once because if Jesus doesn't show up, they've done everything medically, but if Jesus doesn't show up, he's going to die. So they send word for him to come at once. And here's what the scripture says in John 11, verses 5 to 6. If you don't think I'm serious that Jesus didn't hurry, listen to this. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. So it's not that Jesus doesn't care. He loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Worst pastoral care pastor moment ever. He stays two days longer. Jesus can only do that which the Father calls him to do. Lazarus dies. Jesus arrives, and Lazarus now has been dead and buried for four days. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, and I can identify with Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, how many of us have prayers like this? Lord, if you would have, and then you fill in that blank. Lord, if you would have, then this wouldn't have happened. And in that place, we are vulnerable to see God doesn't care about you. But the story of scripture is, no, 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 no. 
It's never that God doesn't care, nor that he doesn't love us. Jesus weeps over his friend that has died. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And it says this in the scriptures in John 11, verse 53. From that day on, the Pharisees made plans to put Jesus to death. See, Jesus cares deeply about Martha, Mary, Lazarus, and you. Jesus isn't in a hurry. And as a result, there's profound hurt and frustration. We ask questions like, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only cared. But in this instant, Jesus does what only he can do. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And while everybody is rejoicing, Jesus knows that this moment cements his death. While everyone is rejoicing, unbeknownst to them, this puts the plan in motion for his death. Church, unlike Lazarus, not everyone is raised from the dead. I get that. There has been a significant amount of loss in our world in the last 10 months. I get that. There are people in the last eight, nine months, not due to COVID, due to other things that are no longer a part of our church. They are part of the eternal church. And this loss is real. And the pain is real of Jesus. Why could you not, could you not, did you not? I get that. So unlike Lazarus, no, not everyone is raised from the dead, but church, because of the work of Jesus, everybody can be raised to life. Everyone that Jesus doesn't heal or rise from the dead in Christ, they are raised to life. It isn't that God doesn't love us, it is that he does. Because Jesus said to her, to Mary, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he stopped and said, do you believe this? So we have a choice. We can let our heart be formed and shaped by worry, anxiety, what we don't understand. And we can take all those yokes on our shoulders. And all they will do all they will do is grind us to death. Or we can take his yoke upon us because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Why is his yoke easy? It's easy because he did the hard things. It's easy because he did the heavy lifting so that you and I could be free. So what yoke's on your shoulders? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. So bring truth to our minds, to our hearts, so that we can identify what our hearts are being shaped by. And Father, may we abide in a God who loves us, in a son who gave his life for us, in a Holy Spirit who fills us to overflowing, gives us a peace that this world cannot give, and Father, I thank you that your shoulders are big enough for our questions, our fears, our worries, our concerns, our think, the things we don't understand, the mysteries that we just don't get. Father, I thank you that we can cast all our anxieties, including those 
on you. Because when we do, we find a God who loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, 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 oh,